Welcome to 10 Bestest, where we sift through the noise so you don't have to. Each week we share our 10 favorite things of the moment. Anything goes. Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Hart. I'm Karen McFarlane-Holman. And here we go with another episode. But before we do, we have a couple exciting things to talk about. Yes, we do. Uh, first, I'm going to read a review really quick. Uh, we got another five-star review, and they say, Love this podcast. Every week I learn about so many new things. I love it. Highly recommend. And that is by B. Riz with one, two, three, five. Five or six Z's. Man, that's a lot of Z's. Nice job, B Riz. (laughs) Not to be mistaken by four Z's, B Riz. This is five Z, B Riz. Oh, yes. Yes. Well, thank you, B Riz. We super appreciate that. We love hearing about it. And I'm sure people who are looking around at podcasts and they're trying to decide, hey, might this be good? And then they get a feel for what our show's like. Yeah, it does really help us out. So if you can give us a second. To give us a review, we appreciate it. We will read it on the air. And yeah, that's pretty cool. And our other exciting little bits of news. So before we switched names to Tempestus, we were just called Cool Sheets. And we had, what, 140-some episodes Mm -hmm. that we recorded at KMUZ, the radio station that we're still on. But now we record out of house, so to speak. And we changed the name. But we had all these episodes. And we're going to start releasing the archive for our listeners. Now, we didn't want to dump them all at once and overwhelm you with 140 back episodes, although some might like that. <laughs> that would be something that I would like. Yeah. Uh, Anyone who likes binge listening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we've decided to just do an extra one a week. Uh, yes. So that will be coming very soon. In fact, by the time this airs, there should be an archive one. And we will say, what, Thursdays? Let's just do yeah, Thursdays. Yeah, let's say Thursdays. So every Thursday, you'll get a bonus archive episode. Yay! Uh, so if you haven't been a longtime listener, these will be totally new to us. Mm-hmm. And for all our longtime listeners who we love might be a fun thing to refresh and go back to that episode and check it out. So absolutely. And you can find all those archives not only on our podcast when we release them, but they're also on our website. We have a little archive section. If you click the little hamburger or whatever, the little menu, it should pop up there and you'll be able to find the show notes to our archive section as well. So that's kind of exciting. It is very exciting. But with that, I think I'll jump into my first cool sheet. And this cool sheet is a human and her name is Priya Krishna, and she is a food writer and author of a best-selling cookbook, Indian-ish uh, Recipes and Antics from a Modern American Family. Priya was born and raised in Dallas, Texas. Uh, she went to Dartmouth College, and as a freshman, she joined the college newspaper and decided she wanted to write a food column. But there was only like five restaurants in the town where she lived, so she's like, well, this is going to be a pretty short uh, food art series. And she decided in Instead, to write articles on how to hack the food from the food hall. And so she would tell, okay, if you get these five items from the food hall this week and then transform them into these really cool, way more kind of fancy and elaborate meals for college kids, and it got super popular. And she actually ended up publishing a book called Ultimate Dining Hall Hacks, Create Extraordinary Dishes from Ordinary Ingredients in Your College Meal Plan. Super cool. Then she went on to do, uh, she joined Bon Appetit for a 
while. There was a little bit of a fallout there. And she also writes for New Yorker, New York Times, many other things. She's She has a, a lot of videos on YouTube, If you and I'll have some of my favorites on here. I do have her cookbook, Indian-ish. So her, she is, uh, her family's from India. They came over to the United States. And so... A lot of them are recipes that her mom has refined and get passed on to her. They're wonderful. So we had the uh, that spicy chickpea. So it's like a hummus kind of, I call it hummus on steroids. Um, we had that the other day. So that was from that cookbook. And basically everything that I've ever tried from her cookbook is amazing. So good. She is just a really cool person in general, though. So it's more than just that cookbook. I wanted to talk about her and her story. Priya Krishna. <laughs> I am so glad you talked about the backstory because I love the story about the dorm food and how to make ordinary food into whatever whatever you said. It just yeah. I love that idea. Yeah, That's it's so a, cool. such a cool idea. Yeah. So it seems very specific for college kids, but I now oh. am so curious about this book because yes. it can kind of translate, I feel like, to the food in my refrigerator, Definitely. right? Like I have a block of cheese and some mm-hmm. hot dogs and some whatever, you know, not that hot dogs are in my fridge all that often, but, yeah, but just, just these kind of normal idea. ingredients. And then, yeah. and plus it just, it looks cool. I love the idea. I want to support her some more, even though she's now, you know, a very famous uh, food columnist. But I just, I love that idea. I love that she, as a fresh you know, she just oh, yeah. had this idea Diving in. and, and it is of course led to really great things. And she has just such a great personality on her videos. What I love about her videos on YouTube is a lot of the time she has her parents in the video as well. And they're oh, nice. all just super awesome. They're kind of sassy and they kind of give her a little bit of crap about and she'll do the same things like, Dad, are you recording? Are you are you sure you're recording the video right now? And they kind of banter back and forth like a family would. Yeah, and it's right. just so endearing and beautiful and relatable. And I just love it. I love everything about all of the things that she does. So oh, it's worth fantastic. checking out for sure. I will definitely check that out. I've never heard of her, so I'm excited. Yeah, it's really cool. And uh, not to get into the weeds too much, but it is an interesting, this story. So I talked about Brad from It's Alive on Bon Appetit. I think that was the only video series that I talked about. But they had a real issue where they didn't have enough diversity on their channel. And one of their food editor also did some things that were not He had to step down. He quit. And there was a lot of people that separated from the channel because they weren't getting paid fairly. And then also some people that were getting paid fairly, but just because of the situation. And they were Mm. like, I don't want to work out here either. And so I'm kind of going to take the next few episodes and highlight some of these really unique very cool voices that I'm now missing on Bon Appetit, but I'm glad that they're all doing other things on their own, which is Excellent. even better. Yep. And I want to highlight them more because they were some of my favorite voices from that channel mm-hmm. and now they're on their own. So I'm really looking forward to diving into more of this yeah. in the coming weeks. Well, and that's better for them too, to have their own independent channel. Absolutely. So they definitely get in control more. Mm-hmm. They can set their own prices and things yep. like that, you know, and, and they certainly freelance, like I said, a lot of them food right and still do, th- some still do things for even Bon Appetit, but maybe not on the, the film level, because it's all different, it's all compartmentalized differently, yeah. and it was kind of a different agency that was handling the negotiating of price, and there was just a bunch of things
things that needed a fix. And I do think that Bon Appetit, you know, once that person stepped down, they got someone a little more diverse as that position. And I think they're really trying. Some people don't think they're doing enough or fast enough, but I do think they're trying to course correct a little bit. So I'm trying to stay patient with them and just glad to see that they're changing. Yeah. At least trying. But I also love that all these other voices are now, they have their own platform and spotlight and things like that. So it's, yeah. it's really great. So what are the show notes? Oh, yes, that's a good idea. So these are going to be on 10bestest.com slash Indian-ish. Indian-ish. So uh, all excellent. one word, all lowercase, Indian-ish. Great. Yes. Cool. All right. Well, my first cool sheet, I'm going to be talking about a game. I haven't talked about a game in a while. And this is one that I have so much fun with when, or I should say had, and hopefully will again soon, when I would have a couple families over. And so there would be, you know, a group of like 10 of us or something like that. Now, I think that it would absolutely, there's no reason why you couldn't play this on Zoom or some other sort of way if you wanted people to have a video gathering. So it could be done that way. And it's a mafia. So another name for this game is Assassin. Some people call it Werewolf. Some people call it Village. But it's essentially a kind of role-playing game. But every time you go through a round of it, there are different roles. And so it's not necessarily like you're choosing, it's not like Dungeons and Dragons or anything like that. It's very spur of the moment. And one of the things that I love about it is that one of the people is the moderator and that person has a chance to be really creative with the scenario that they make up. And so you can be anything. So one of the times that I was up there, I was just like, okay, what am I gonna do? I'm going to pretend like it's a classroom. Okay, so there's something that I can do without even thinking because I've taught for so many years. And so then, you know, I can just sort of take over this being the harsh school marm or whatever. And then each person in the room, they're taking on different roles that they're playing within that. And it's one of those games where one of the people is the assassin and hence the name sometimes it's called assassin sometimes it's called mafia so someone is the killer the assassin someone is dying and there are other roles like that but it's one of those things where people close their eyes and so only a select few know what's going on and some don't and so there's a lot of like being tricky and stealthy and all these sorts of things every time you play it's different it is super fun mafia Whoa, I don't think I've played it. The fact that it has so many different names makes me think, well, maybe. It sounds a little like this one. It was more like apocalyptic zombies and things like that, but it was. It seemed like maybe so a little bit of the rules were kind of like one, that. This one you can just play. You don't need any special deck. You don't need anything. Yeah. It's just a game you can play. Now, you do, you know, it's makes it easier, I guess, if you do have a deck and you can even just play it with a regular card deck where say, okay, if you get the queen, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, but I think I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, it's a little more, it's mm -hmm. a little different. Yeah, I think it has a board and cards and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that sounds really cool. And the 
the fact that the one person gets to kind of lead of what's going on and tell the story, that's a little D&D-like, I think. I don't, it is. I haven't really played D&D, but it sounds familiar, like similar, but so it's similar in that genre, but, yep. but mm-hmm. different, but also totally different. So maybe yeah. if you like D&D, you might easily transition into this game. Sounds really cool. It sounds is. Fun. It's really, really fun. So, yeah. and yeah, I, get, I came across it somewhere and I went, oh my gosh, yeah, I haven't played that in so long because I haven't had gatherings yeah. in a while, but it did make me think like, like, whoa, that would be a fun thing to bring some people together and just see, just try it on Zoom or FaceTime or whatever, because it it's pretty darn fun. That's very cool. I will have to check it out. And yeah, and then hopefully if we get back to where we can when hang we out get with back people, to, yes. <laughs> then I will also do that as well and play with other people. <laughs> All right. My second cool sheet is a book. I've been reading a ton of books this year already, and it's fantastic. And I've been reading some really amazing books that I'll probably bring up later. But this book is also good, but it was a much lighter read. I kind of sparse in my really heavy, dense topics that are super, super important, but then I get a little lighter one. And this one was Green Lights, and it's by Matthew McConaughey. And it's a memoir. It's a very unusual memoir, but it is a New York Times bestseller. And I got the audio version because he reads the book. And McConaughey is kind of one of those where it's like love him or hate him. For some reason, there are some people that really, really, really don't like him. I don't know why, because I'm in the love group. I love him. I love his attitude. He's not totally the same person that I would be. You know, he's from Texas and he's, you know, got a lot of machismo. I mean, he's a good-looking actor, super famous, uh, really good shape. He, you know, there was, I think he spent his 20s and 30s with no shirt. I don't think he owned a shirt. <laughs> but if I looked like him, I probably wouldn't own a shirt either. And maybe there was resentment because of that or whatever. So he's from Texas. I don't know. But I think he's great. And his book is great. It's basically like he's just at a campfire with you telling about his childhood, his adventures as an actor, his just life moments and musings. And he has a lot of like built-in lessons of what he's learned and he, what he calls us green lights. So green lights mean go. Uh, we don't like yellow red lights, but sometimes they give us what we need and they turn into green lights. So he, he has this metaphor of how, how he takes different situations in his life. And he had a pretty rough childhood, a very rough childhood, physical, mental abuse in child. But he's been so optimistic. He's a very optimistic person. He, In fact, he says that a lot. But uh, it's a really good book. Uh, it's kind of broken down into eight sections. And each one is just a joy. If you like McConaughey, you'll love this book. Definitely check out Green Lights. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. You know, I I do a pretty good job of avoiding things <laughs> in popular culture or whatever. <laughs> Not always on purpose. But anyway, but I have seen his book everywhere. Yeah, and it's really blown I'm up. I'm like, what's the big deal? It's yeah. a, an actor wrote a book. Who cares? Yeah. But, Usually I don't um, find those that interesting at yeah, all. Yeah, but this sounds really wonderful. Yeah, there's something, you know, I I do love the audio because he has a very distinct cadence yes. and mm-hmm. style. For and sure. it's one of the only books where I had to view it or listen to it at real speed because I will speed up a lot of books just because you read a lot faster than you hear so I like to get it close I I even had a cool sheet I think where people listen to it you know 10 times speed or whatever I can't do that but uh, but for him I definitely wanted it at 
reals time because I love his drawl and his, mm-hmm. you know, Southern and his delivery. And then, but, you know, it was also one of those things I read it or had him read it to me in a day and, and like just a day and a half. But I almost started talking like him because I was so, like, <laughs> you know, I, I listened to this for eight hours. <laughs> you were living in Texas for two days. Yeah, it was pretty great. But it, yeah, I, I never would have probably read this book, but it was recommended by a few different people. Mm-hmm. And finally, one person, a friend of mine, Stephanie, was like, no, I think you'll like it. And so I did it. And I did. I loved it. It was great. It's like I said, it's not maybe as important, I guess, as some of the other books that I'm reading, like Cast and How to Be an Anti-Racist and some really, really important books. But this one was just fun and a little bit lighter and just talking about life, you know, and his mm-hmm. his attitude. I just love it. So I really enjoyed it. Nice. All right. Well, who knows? Because I have some Audible credits. So, uh-huh. you know, maybe I could, could nab it. All right. Excellent. My next cool sheet. I'm going to be talking about some history. This is something I just learned about in the last month. And it's the history of synthetic sex hormones. And these were in terms of being able to take sex hormones, understand what they are, know what the structure is, and then mass produce them and so that you could actually do hormone therapy for people. This happened around the Great Depression. This happened around the 1930s. And so actually, if you are a steroid chemist, you refer to the 1930s as the decade of the sex hormone, which is a much better name than the Great Depression, don't you think? (laughs) Before 1930... The exact molecular structure wasn't known, so they were known to exist, and so it became, at that time, important to be able to figure out um, what they are and, and how to do this. So there was someone named Russell Marker, who then became the first person to figure out a method to synthesize progesterone. So that was the first one, and to make it scalable. And this was really important because there were so many women who were having a lot of menstrual issues and other things like that. And it was a crucial first step towards the development of the birth control pill. Now, that happened 20 years later, but um, it was still important for that. So this is my favorite part. So Russell Marker, he devised this way, the synthetic strategy for creating it in 1934. And what he did, or what he didn't do is more important, he did not apply for a patent himself, nor did he sign the patent rights over to anyone else. By doing that, he was then granting free use of his method to anyone else who wanted to do it. And I just think that is so awesome and amazing. And I wish more people in the pharmaceutical industry would do that. So there is my history lesson on synthetic sex hormones. Wow. Yeah, that is pretty fascinating. And it's one of those things, too, that, I mean, the Great Depression, it was in the 30s. You know, you would think, oh, that must have happened maybe 40 years ago or, you know, yeah, 30 yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to get perspective on that. Yeah, the fact that it's been mm-hmm. around that long, but then also took that it led to the birth control pill, but that took another 20 years. Yes. So quite a breakthrough, but that's always interesting to me, too, because like what medical discoveries are we discovering now that are going to spiral, right. you know, 20 years from now right. and be some big breakthrough? Yeah. You know, but yeah. And the fact that they weren't so 
tied to this is my idea. I'm going to get a patent. I'm not going to mm-hmm. share it. Yeah. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that mm-hmm. happened a little more frequently? I it's kind of what happened. I feel like maybe I'm wrong because I don't know the science part of the COVID vaccine, but I, it seems like there was more than usual collaboration from all over the world to get a good vaccine. Now, certainly there were different places that got their own, but I feel like there was just, I know that definitely a lot of scientists stopped the work that they were doing to focus on this. So maybe it was just that shift of like, oh, I'm working on X uh, problem right now, but everybody basically just shifted to COVID. And that was one of the reasons why it happened. This vaccine happened within a year versus four years yeah, of the average vaccine. But uh, my, I, So I don't know a ton about it either. I should know more. But in any case, one of the interviews that I read from the, I think it's the CEO of Pfizer, is that they actually purposely did not take grant money from yeah, governments because yeah. they wanted it to just go through quickly and that does mean private money and it does mean that they will make money absolutely and of course they want to make money Um, but I did find it really interesting that it actually made everything happen faster now you might think well of course it happened faster because the government wasn't involved but in any case yeah I think it was like a combination of a lot of that made it happen quickly yeah yeah no it's really cool so yeah great thank you so much for sharing that you're welcome All right, my next cool she is kind of a tie-in from the last one, but this is one of my all-time favorite movies that I've never talked about, and it's Dazed and Confused, and it's by Richard Linklater, and it was in uh, 1993. So this was my senior year of high school, and this is a coming-of-age story of people in high school and junior high, and so it was just perfect. It was like the movie was made, it was during my senior year about high school, had all the typical stoner and jocks and this and story and and so it really hit me but it is also a really good movie it has an amazing cast uh, Jason Landon one of Ben Affleck's first movies Mila Jehovovich Parker Posey Joey Lorraine Adams even Renee Zellinger's in there and of course the acting debut of Matthew McConaughey so this was the first movie he played the unforgettable Wooderson who is this older guy he was graduated high school but he still would hang hang out with all the high school kids and that's what made him so famous so he got this job he was studying filmmaking in austin and uh, university uh texas but he he wasn't really getting a break and he went to this bar his buddy like worked at a hotel bar and he was like there's this casting director you should come meet him they had drinks all night got kicked out of the bar, in fact, but became friends. He's like, you know what? You should try this role. And then Linklater had him audition. He's like, this guy's way too good looking. And, you know, he's not right for the part. This guy's supposed to be kind of a creep. And McConaughey just kind of, you know, took a deep breath, shook his head a little bit and just transformed into the character. And he was like, you're him. Wow. And he only had, I think, one line. And he ended up adding lines and adding lines and he, and and he would just improv these lines and they were always golden and he, so he'd have to like take screen time away from other people and add him into the character but aside from just Matthew McConaughey who's definitely one of the highlights this is just a really great movie and I love it it's dazed and confused 
Oh, such a classic Gen X film. Yes, absolutely. And I forgot now. It's about the 70s, you know, mm-hmm. but it so it came out in 93, but, but it's yeah, about I think the 70s it is, era. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, oh uh, man, I need to rewatch that. Which is that. even why I like it even more is because you, you don't have those kind of tropes of like, oh yeah, I remember Pagers or whatever was happening yeah. in 93. It was already all this established classic rock. So it's all the really right. cool music. And three of the, so three of the best, lines by him uh, of course there's the the best part about these high school girls is i keep getting older but they stay the same age oh, so, yeah God. super creepy <laughs> but i tell you when i was a high school senior i thought it was well, maybe a little more hilarious that one doesn't age right. very well but the other ones he's like you just gotta keep living man l-i-v-i-n and that's still to this day one of his mantras mm-hmm. in fact in his oscar speech he re- referenced that and of course all right all right all right yeah <laughs> which he said in that movie for the first time and to this day he he keeps it and, and he's kind of modified it he's like remember who we look up to what we're looking forward to and what we're chasing. Remember those three things. All right, all right, all right. And you'll be L-I-V-I-N living. (laughs) So I love the fact that he has taken this. And of course, you know, everybody on the street always says, all right, all right. A lot of times actors get annoyed when they're known for something and never, it never dies. You know, 93, that's quite a while now. He loves it. He loves it. He embraces it. I mean, it made his career what it is today, and he just embraces it 100%. And I love the fact that he's just, it's now his mantra in life. It's fantastic. And it is a great film. It's so many stars and all of the ridiculousness of high school and hazing and trying to find love. And it's, it's really great. It really has a soft spot for me in my heart. That's great. Love it. Yeah, and I would I would just guess, I don't really know, but that he's okay with people saying that to him on the street because he came up with those words and those phrases. Yeah, that, that those line, especially, all right, all right, was really totally improv. Coming from him and his heart. Yeah. And so, yeah, like that that gets to be a legacy is um, is not a bad thing. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's pretty great. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to rewatch that. You know what? Oh, I forgot. I also was lucky enough. They had the 20, 20, 30 year reunion of that film at Sundance and Linklater was there and somebody else and they live commentaried during the oh, film cool. at our theater, which was once in a lifetime. Yeah. Unfortunately, I was working, volunteering that shift so I could only come in at parts, but ah. But you got to experience what a, what some a of treat. that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. All right. Well, I need to move on. We could talk. Keep talking about that because it's so cool. But I'm going to move on to my third cool sheet, and this is kind of a mindset, but it's it's a mindset to avoid, and it is called bike shedding. And I will explain what that means. But there is another word for it, and that is Parkinson's law of triviality. All right. So this is something to watch out for because our brains love the status quo. And so our subconscious is just kind of like, all right, let's just, you know, just keep going, just keep going, keep things the same. But what then can happen is that can not be good for us. Okay. So this is what Parkinson's law of triviality says. Um, There are two parts to it. And the first one is that I think Brian, you'll be, you will uh, relate to this. A task will take up as much time as it is allowed. (laughs) 
How many times have we all experienced that? It's kind of like the goldfish will only get as big as the, the size of its bowl or whatever. The second part to this Parkinson's law is that when given a big important task, people are more likely to get hung up on something trivial that ends up taking up a disproportionate amount of time and then stops them from moving on and doing the bigger thing. Okay, so this is called, uh, this is a cool little piece of trivia here, the term bike shedding came from the fact that there were these people who were building a nuclear power plant. So this enormous thing, it's super complex. And the committee designing it spent a huge amount of time focusing on the design of the bike shed. (laughs) So this article that I have goes through, that's just the beginning. And then it goes through from there of how it can impact your work, how you can get around it. And all of this other stuff I found very interesting and a really good reminder. Mindset to avoid bike shedding wow okay so so what was that first principle again because yes i can relate to it that the project is as big as you allow it the task will take up as much time as you give to it okay so if you're like oh i I have five minutes to prepare for 10 bestest or (laughs) if you have 10 hours to prepare or you want to you know yeah whatever yeah no i can certainly relate to that my other my favorite whatever saying for my ideas, tasks, projects, things is it's always going to take longer than you think. Well, yeah. Because I'm always like, oh yeah, this little project, I could do a TED, I could do a TEDx event with my friend. That would only take what, a couple months a year? And then it was like, (laughs) oh no, this takes 12 months a year of planning (laughs) every year. Right. And it's always like things are, oh, a little podcast. Well, we do like a little, maybe an hour of prep and a, and oh, then yeah, the show no. and then the thing. So it's like only two hours a week. And then uh, it's like five, you know, <laughs> it's manageable, but it's, a, it's always a little bit more. Than, yes. Like double. For yeah, me. Think I'm very bad at estimating time. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. So anyway, some very good reminders there. Yes, absolutely. And don't forget uh, to check out all these links on our website, on our show notes page at 10bestus.com slash Indian-ish. And that's 10bestus.com slash Indian-ish. One word. All right. And my next cool sheet is an article. And this is a, a brief history of peanut butter. And so I don't know how I found this, but thank goodness I did, because I would never have thought about it. And it's so interesting. This is from the SmithsonianMag.com. And so peanut butter wasn't exactly invented in the United States, uh, but it's basically a United States product. We really embraced it and it became popular because of us. The doc, actually, Dr. Kellogg, John Harvey Kellogg from Serial Fame, uh, filed the first patent in 1895. He was a seven-day Adventist, and he endorsed a plant-based diet. So this was a really good meat alternative, and it actually was endorsed by people like Amelia Earnhardt and Sojourner Truth and Henry Ford. So it kind of like elevated it to this level uh, that more people wanted to do it. It was also, there was an ad that said uh, 10 cents worth of peanuts combined uh, contained six times the energy of a porterhouse steak. So again, it was this meat replacement. But where that really kicked in is in World War II when there was rationing and they talked about practicing meatless Mondays, and that's where peanut butter kind of exploded into popularity. And also, Joseph Rosefield filed a patent for applying a chemical process. I'd love to hear your uh, 
interpretation on this called partial hydrogenation. So that basically took the oil, made it more of a solid form. So it basically made shelf-stable peanut butter. And that also changed the dynamic. You could now ship it all over the United States and it would keep longer. He actually founded Skippy in the 30s, so became very famous, still to this day, a peanut butter brand. Again, it's just became so Americanized that I think it's very funny. Someone from um, Nigeria or Nicaragua, I'm sorry, said, when did you know you were an American? And they were like, when I decided that I liked peanut butter. So (laughs) I love this article, The Brief History of Peanut Butter. Yes, my mind started worrying, and I, worrying, not worrying. (laughs) Um, Anyway, and I thought of a good Tetris analogy for how hydrogenation of oils can then cause it to be, if it's more liquidy, and then make it more solid. Yeah. So maybe that will be a future cool sheet Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. (laughs) Don't forget this one. (laughs) We've got to write it down. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Now, what I will say, too, is very relevant to this time of recording. So they used peanut butter a lot in COVID-19 testing because your sense of smell was lost when you get COVID. That was one of the symptoms. And what is a very familiar, powerful smell that most people have in their house? They say 90% Mm -hmm. of the people in the United States Mm -hmm. have peanut butter on their shelf. So it was a very easy one to open up and smell. And if you couldn't smell it, might have COVID. Fascinating. And it was actually in a in a study by a scientist from Yale University. Oh, Had it part of his three-month three, three month study. So, Very interesting. Super fascinating. So I'm wondering, because I love peanut sauce in Thai dishes. Mm, Did they yeah. mention that that, like the origin? Well, the origin, it was somewhere. Sauce? It wasn't Thai. It was somewhere else from a long, like... Okay. Hundreds, thousands, thousands, yeah. you know, Incas or something like that. It was something uh-huh. similar to that a long time ago. Oh, but that does remind you. So I've been kind of obsessed with peanut butter lately, and I made this really cool cashew butter just mm. yesterday or the day before, Yum. and I brought you some to have. <gasps> Yay! So Ooh, can, I can't wait to try yeah, it. Thank you. you. I can't stop eating it, and I'm starting oh. the fast again <laughs> tomorrow. Oh. So I have to like get it out of my yes. face. So you I am a get welcome that. recipient and yeah. grateful recipient. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, my next cool sheet, I'm going to be talking about an article. And, you know, we're known on here on 10 Bestest to be really positive. And this isn't necessarily positive, but I also believe that knowledge can then invoke change and good things happen. So this article is called Thousands of species are fleeing to the Earth's poles en masse, and a pattern is emerging. So this is from sciencealert.com, where they have a lot of information coming out of, of things that are emerging. So it has to do with exactly what the title infers. What they did is... This is drawing together 258 peer-reviewed scientific studies. Researchers compared over 30,000 habitat shifts of more than 12,000 species of bacteria, of fungi, of plants, and of animals. Okay, and so all of this brought together into a database. This database is called BioShifts. And so then there was a comprehensive analysis that was done, and it was actually the first of its kind, where they were looking at just the data, trying to remove human biases, and see what is happening with global 
uh, movement of animals due to thermal shifts. And so what they saw that was very clear, and this article goes into a lot more detail about everything, but um, they were absolutely seeing that the aquatic creatures, as they could, they're definitely moving away from the equatorial regions and they're moving towards the poles. And it really seems to be because of water temperatures. They've also been monitoring some of the land animals, but land animals have a hard time navigating terrain and things like that. So they, they're shifting, but it's ever so slightly. But there's definitely something happening with the aquatic creatures in the oceans. If you want to learn more, the article is thousands of species are fleeing to the earth poles en masse. Whoa, yeah, that's a little scary, but yeah. also important to yes. know more about and hopefully exactly. see if we can fix some of those. Yeah, and I purposely things. chose to not put that one last so that we wouldn't end on that note. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably a good idea. But I really did want to share that. Yeah, no, super important. And it's good to just read more of the science behind it. I yes. think a lot of people get emotional when you talk about climate change or anything similar to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is a science article on a science Oh my gosh. And you heard the numbers I gave you. Yeah, right. Exactly. This is is not just one group of scientists doing a study. We're talking hundreds. And for some reason, to me, it paints a little bit of a different picture, at least. When you talk about, oh, the, the earth is warming, that's one thing. It's hard for people to maybe wrap their head around that. But when you're like, these are beings, other yes. things leaving yes. and going yep. because of this. That's like, that's a big visual for maybe that exactly. maybe it didn't sink in for other people. Exactly. Hopefully. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. My pleasure. All right. My last cool sheet is going to be kind of a fun one. It's an app. I actually, I don't know if I've done an app in a while, but some people say I'm known for it. So here we go. Here's your app. <laughs> and it is called Tally. Tally, they, they tout it as an anything tracker. And that's true. So it's kind of a, ha- I use it for habit tracking. And, you know, it's the first of the year when we're recording this. And it's kind of, you know, when you reevaluate a lot of people having New Year's resolutions or whatever, they want to do things more. And I am not different from that. I like to do that as well. I will say this is only iPhone, iPad and watch compatible. So I don't think they have an Android version. Sorry about that. Maybe they have something similar. But what I love about it, there, because there's a ton of habit tracking apps, and I've tried a lot of them, I just like how simple this is. It's very simple, but it's also beautiful. Of course, I like good design as well, so it fits all of those boxes for me. And you just tell it what you want to do. You can customize. You can have reminders if you want. I don't like reminders, so I don't get those. And again, you can track anything. So you can just, you know, have you taken pills? Do you have symptoms? You know, are you having stomach pains? You know, I love how they, you define what you want, and then you can keep a tally of that item of how many times it's happening, or have I ran today? Have I taken a walk? Have I meditated? And I will say that I have, sometimes I just have a bad memory. I get a routine going, and then I can't remember if I've taken that supplement or if I've done this thing. And, but I do want to track it. I've given myself some goals to have to do 30 days of eight different things and I want to do them every day and this helps me. It also motivates you. It does. There is something about it when you're that satisfaction of yes, because that's another thing I don't do is I don't celebrate the victory. I just move on to the next thing and this makes me pause, makes me 
look at it and then also kind of reflect at the end of the day, like, oh, because I also have a tendency to think oh, I didn't do anything today, even though I did 20 things. It's like, well, I could have done 25 things. So I love it. It's a great app. It's Tally. And I like that you can use it for anything. It's not just an app that's for one specific like meditation app or something yes, like that. Yes, exactly. So really or there's cool. things like, oh, you go to a category and, okay, yeah. exercise. You know, no, mm-hmm. there's no category. Well, there might have, you know, suggestions, but I just go add one and then type whatever I want. Cool. You can um, and add anything. There is absolutely psychology, psychological studies that have been done that when you check a box or whatever, oh yeah, for any, sure. And especially if it makes a noise, the ling yep, or something, does, of then you it does. like get yeah. a little woo dopamine. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And, you know, and sometimes I'm like, am I getting played here or whatever? But if it works <laughs> to your benefit, like it's well, yeah, yeah. or whatever. And, you're and it kind of is, but it yeah. also, if it makes me stick to my habits, these are all good habits that, you yeah. know, am I reading you're, for 30 you're... minutes a day? Am I taking a walk and exercising? Am I drinking enough water? You right. know, those are things that I do want to improve exactly. on. Exactly. So this is helping with that. And so it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm for it. I approve. I give it the thumbs up. <laughs> all right, good. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to check it out. I've never heard of it, but it sounds good. Yeah, and it's free. I think there's a paid version, but the mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, sh- I should say, I've had it for a long time, so i just now really been using it mm-hmm. every day. I think it's free. I think there's a paid version and a free version, or else maybe the paid version's like three bucks. Mm-hmm. It's not bad, okay. but I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you, and you can check it on the show notes up. if you're interested, too. All right. I am to my last cool sheet. And yes, I'm definitely going a little bit lighter on this last one. I love candles. And many people know I love candles. My kids, I think I got two candles for my birthday. And then they gave me more candles for Christmas. And um, anyway, I just love them. And what has recently happened is that I have a YouTube channel and I was creating a video and I posted it and and one of the people making comments said something like you should get a wooden wick candle and I was like I don't know what you're talking about and so I looked it up and it's a thing so I ordered one and I got one and I love it so I looked I looked up information about it because I'm like well what why is it a thing what is the difference so what I wanted to first is just tell everyone there's there's a thing called wooden wick candles and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's wooden versus cotton. Okay, what's the big deal? So if you go to this particular blog post in darlingcandles.com and they will explain all the various things. So there are things about lighting and relighting and the advantages and disadvantages, how fast that it is burning and aspects of if you have a candle that has aromatherapy in it it has essential oils and then how those scents will come out in the wooden versus the cotton and it's it is a whole thing but I will tell you that my very favorite thing about it has to do with the sound so when you are burning after you light a wooden wick candle it is crackling and it is like having a little tiny fireplace next to you. And for me, it is all worth that. It doesn't cost any more. They're not like more expensive or anything like that. But they just give just a little something something to the ambiance. And I love it. So I wanted to tell everyone about wooden wick candles. Wow, how have I never heard about wooden wick candles? And yeah, I'm gonna love I want one for sure. Or multiples. Because I love it. As soon as you 
started leading into that sound part of it, I was like, I'm in. Mm-hmm. Like I was already, you know, this is interesting. Yeah. But then when you said that, I was like, yep. oh, now I need to have one of these. Yep. And I need to have one soon. Yes. This sounds cool. <laughs> I like candles anyway, but this sounds it's just so great. another step up. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yep. Yeah. And that was why the the comment on my YouTube channel, they were saying you should get a wooden wick candle for that, that sound, yeah, for that crackly for sound. Sure. So, yeah. Oh, man. That's so super cool. That's so great. I'm going to get one as soon as we're done here. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Uh, don't forget, you can check out our show notes at 10bestus.com slash Indian-ish. And that's 10bestus.com slash Indian-ish. Leave a review if you're digging the show. Tell a friend. Thank you and stay curious. Want to learn more about this week's cool sheets? Head on over to 10bestus, that's 10bestus.com for links to all of our cool sheets. And sign up for our monthly newsletter with bonus cool sheets and other fun stuff. 10bestus will be back with an all new episode next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern.